Welcome, friends and fellow travelers, on our Bible reading tour. Today is October 1st, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where each day we read aloud successive portions of the Old and New Testaments with the prospect of reaching our goal of a complete read through of the Bible by the year's end. We set out on our journey on January 1st, and today we will finish our third quarter. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher in Concord, Massachusetts. The summit of Mount Katahdin in Maine is the terminus for the Appalachian Trail. My sons and I have climbed Mount Katahdin on several occasions and been there as hikers who started out on the complete 2,190-mile Appalachian Trail six months earlier from Mount Springer in Georgia complete their journey at Katahdin's Peak. When they arrive at Katahdin's summit, we have watched them fall to their knees in thankful celebration of their completed goal. I am told that only one out of every four who start with the intention of completing the entire Appalachian Trail make it to the end. It really helps to have some encouragement and accountability to keep at it, and if you press on, you have some magnificent views along the way. I want to encourage you, my friends, to complete this one-year Bible reading trail. We have only 91 days before we celebrate the completion of our full tour. By then you will have become all the more spiritually fit, having developed a healthy regimen of a daily intake of God's Word and giving time to reflect and meditate upon it. We are getting a good glimpse into the future with the prophecies of Isaiah that we're reading today. Written on a tombstone in our town of Concord, Massachusetts, is a statement of faith, the best is yet to be. While in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we realize this is true. We read about the new heavens and the new earth. Not only do we have the prospect of a future that is as bright as the promises of God, but we who are identified in a faith union with Christ have a new life in Him now, And we learn how that works in us and through us as we read the book of Philippians, the joy book. And we get to take in all of this and more today as we set out on our Bible reading tour. Our trailhead is found in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. So let's make our way there and we will hike through to chapter 65, verse 25. Let's go to the book of Isaiah now. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah 62. Verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Chapter 63, The Lord's Day of Vengeance Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimsoned garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. 
Why is your apparel red, and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments, and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy, and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert they did not stumble, like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways, and harden our heart, so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Chapter 64 Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for Him. You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. 
There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Chapter 65 I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, Here I am, here I am. To a nation that was not called by my name, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people, who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servants' sake, and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and from Judah possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune, and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes, and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart, and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants he will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage today from the book of Isaiah. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. God promises to relentlessly pursue His vision for the salvation of the nation of Israel. Jerusalem shall one day be a reflection of the brightness of God's righteousness and glory in Isaiah chapter 62 verses 1 and 2. He will use His appointed watchmen to preach His word and bring His remembrance to the minds of His people in verse 6. Their ministry will not come to an end until He establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise in the earth in verse 7. The Lord will continue to speak and work through the ministry of the Word until His purposes for Jerusalem are fulfilled. He will do this not only for Israel's sake, but for all the nations on earth. An honest reading of this portion of Isaiah will prove that there are still many promises given to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. Yet the Lord has sworn by His right hand and His mighty arm that, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your wine for which you have labored. Isaiah 62 verse 8. Notice the repetition of the word never. That word is absolute. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them, they will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Isaiah 65 verses 20 through 23 nor can we say that these promises have already been fulfilled in the church. The promise of the new heavens and the new earth is yet in the future. Isaiah chapter 65 verses 17 through 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. We have reason to believe in a real millennium. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 25 reads, The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, 
and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Do we spiritualize this away? Do we turn this prophecy into a mere symbol of utopianism? We did not treat the many prophecies in Isaiah that have already been literally fulfilled as mere symbolism. Why then should we treat the future prophecies differently? Some might say that the prophecies in Isaiah chapter 64 verses 10 through 11 and 65 verse 12 were fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. or the Romans in 70 A.D. Yet the same imagery is used by the Apostle John in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ to describe more accurately a future judgment. Most scholars believe that the Apostle John wrote the Revelation 25 years after the destruction of Jerusalem, while John was banished on the island of Patmos in 95-96 to A.D. under the reign of Domitian. Surely he is not writing about the past, but about the future, as reported in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. The imagery of Isaiah chapter 63 is picked up by the Apostle John as he looks to the future in the book of Revelation chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, and chapter 19, verses 18 through 21. The book of Revelation speaks of Christ's intervention at Armageddon with garments dipped in blood in Revelation 19, verse 13, which relates to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 3. The great winepress of God's wrath is spoken of in Revelation chapter 14, verse 19, and this relates to Isaiah chapter 63, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 3 reads, I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. And notice Revelation chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth, and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress, up to the horses' bridles, for a distance of two hundred miles. Isaiah prophesies the Lord's intervention with righteous judgment as he ends the battle. He treads the winepress with his fury, in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 63. In Revelation 19, verse 13, we read, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. We also can see the mystery of Israel's hardening of heart in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, predicted in Isaiah 63, verse 17. Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden our heart from fearing you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. 
we also can see God's extension of the new covenant blessing to the Gentiles predicted in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, Here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. God's blessing on the Gentiles will provoke Israel to jealousy while he is incorporating a remnant into the new man, in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 13 through 16. In the book of Romans we read, in chapter 11, verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. In today's readings, the prophet Isaiah exposes the folly of those who refuse to repent while holding on to their own brand of self-righteousness, trusting in their own good works. Our righteousness amounts to nothing but filthy rags compared to His infinite righteousness. His righteousness is the minimum requirement for acceptance by God. This is why salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. No one is justified before God by religious observance or keeping the law, because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That is His standard of righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, to the New Testament book of Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, and we will begin with verse 19 and read through to chapter 3, verse 4. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Chapter 3 Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Philippians. In this part of Paul's letter to the Philippians, we learn about two of his co-workers, what great team members they were. First we read of Timothy. He was Paul's apprentice, 
chosen to join him on his second missionary journey for his good reputation as a participating member in his local church at Lystra, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. His faithfulness in ministry had been proven. Paul mentored Timothy on his mission trip and became a spiritual father to him, even though Timothy's biological father was Greek and most likely not a believer. Timothy became Paul's right-hand man, a trusted servant, and an apostolic ambassador to the churches. He eventually became an elder or pastor or overseer, all three words are used interchangeably, in the church at Ephesus. Paul praises Timothy's spirit as being one with his in selfless concern for the welfare of the church at Philippi. Sadly, Paul recognizes how rare this quality was at that time. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Then we read of Epaphroditus. He is described as, number one, a brother, number two, a fellow worker, number three, a fellow soldier, and number four, a messenger. Epaphroditus brought word from Philippi to Paul while Paul was in prison. He had taken ill and came near to the point of death, but God mercifully spared his life, enabling him to get back into action and return to Philippi. Like Timothy, he had a reputation for selfless concern, tirelessly investing in the work of the gospel, even risking his life to do so. Next, we read of the local crisis. False teachers, Judaizers, were undermining the work of God's grace in the gospel by teaching that believers needed to reform to the rituals of the Mosaic Covenant. Paul called them dogs or scavengers because of the destructive work they did, feeding on new believers who were not yet fully grounded in the apostles' doctrine. Ironically, a dog was the derogatory slur Jews had used for the Gentiles. Paul was reversing this to put a mirror to the legalists who insisted Gentile males be circumcised and that all Gentiles become proselytes to Judaism. True believers are described as those who, number one, worship in the Spirit, number two, glory in Christ Jesus, and number three, have no confidence in the flesh. Does this describe you? Don't let Satan rob your joy. Paul underscores the importance of this by saying, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He will say this again and again. Why? Because of the gospel of God's grace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. The next stop on our Bible reading tour is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, verses 1 through 28. Yesterday we completed book 2 of the book of Psalms, and today we start book 3. And reading today's psalm will be Peter Healy. Book 3, God is my strength and portion forever. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies.
they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them, and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. This psalm speaks to us of the danger of losing our footing in the finished work of Christ. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are firmly positioned in Christ Jesus, standing in grace in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, standing through faith in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, and standing in the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. But we are to be watchful, standing firm in the faith in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Psalm 73 describes a situation in which we can lose our firm footing when we compare ourselves with others. We slip when we envy someone else's story and are not mindful of the grace of our own story and are not thankful. The psalmist is deceived by those whose faith is in their self-manufactured idols. They worship a false god rather than the all-knowing God of the Bible. They say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Psalm 73 verse 11 They are seduced by their own prosperity gospel. They are carefree, and they increase in wealth, not recognizing that they are on slippery ground one day to fall in the judgment. Psalm 73 verses 18 through 19 Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. The psalmist is momentarily deceived by getting his eyes on the prosperity of the wicked, a term for the unbeliever. 
he imagines that his devotion to God's revealed truth has been in vain. This happens today when people get their eyes on the popular culture and its insistence that we conform to its new sexual ethic. People say to themselves, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Psalm 73 verse 13 But when the psalmist comes into the sanctuary, a place where one can partake of fellowship with God's mind expressed in His holy word, he experiences a paradigm shift, a changed viewpoint, a restored vision of reality. He realizes that when he was comparing himself with others, he forgot the big picture. He was not being renewed in his mind, but was being pressed into the world's mold. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Psalm 73, verses 21 and 22. The psalm ends with a great declaration of faith in verses 23 through 28. May we share in his resolution. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Psalm 73, verse 28. Now let's go to our final stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 13 through 14. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Health food is good for the body, but the knowledge of salvation through the word is even better for you. It is sweeter and healthier than honey because it gives you what nothing else can, eternal hope. Let's take what we've learned today to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you have continually proved yourself to be faithful. Not one of your promises ever falls to the ground unfulfilled. We have great hope that you will complete the work that you have begun in us. Thank you for the certain promise of your return and your future kingdom on earth. We pray today that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for your present reign on the throne in heaven, your present work in the world, and your ruling presence in our hearts through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You are sovereign over all, and we find our true refuge in you. May we be like Timothy and Epaphroditus in our selfless concern for others, and particularly our concern for the welfare of your church. May we never be deceived by comparing ourselves with others or by adopting a mere temporal viewpoint. May we abide in the sanctuary of your revealed truth in Christ Jesus and walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Our readings today have given us many reasons to be hopeful and thankful and joyful. And I look forward to continuing our journey tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments and you'd like to contact us, you can write to us at podcast at newlife.org. If you would like to learn more about New Life Community Church and its many ministries, or you would like to subscribe to a daily email where you get a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible reading, you can go to our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom.